Hey, we are going on three months recording these podcasts, and Michael and I have really been enjoying this. Uh, it's also been exciting to have guests on, uh, friends, family, and if you've been listening to past episodes, um, you've heard those guest episodes. Um, at the time that I'm recording this, we actually have about 10 episodes with guests that haven't aired yet. And so uh, because of that, we've decided to go ahead and release um, every Thursday, we're going to go ahead and release a guest episode that features uh, songs picked by guests. We'll continue to release on Sunday evenings the regular episodes that Michael and I break down the songs. And then beginning in February, we'll release that guest episode on Thursday. So uh, we're, we're pretty excited about that, and we really appreciate you listening. If I were to make a list of the most influential songwriters in my life, David Bazan would be near or even at the top of that list. And from a young age, when I began falling in love with music, his music was around, and he continues to make music today. And even some of the most recent music he's made is some of his best work. He's made a lot of really great music over a long span of time. And on this episode, you get to see how big of a man crush I really have on him. There, there are artists in your life that end up meaning a lot to you. And David Bazan is near the top of the heap for me. So it's funny, when we first discussed doing this, I thought, I definitely want to do Curse Your Branches by David Bazan, but I can't have it be one of the first couple episodes. We're going to have to figure out what we're doing first for me to be able to feel like I'm doing some level of justice talking about him. And it's funny how elevated in my mind, it's, I, I almost feel nervous talking about David Bazan because of how high I hold him in my mind. And I, I don't do that with people typically. In fact, I, like, I don't like that concept. I don't like the idea of elevating people but it this this it comes natural to me with him. It does the same with Andy Hull, but not to this extent because David Bazan has been around in my life musically longer than it, it, as long as really any other band. That that means anything to me nowadays. David Bazan and Pe Pedro the Lion when that was out in the in the mid to late nineties on Tooth and Nail Records was at a very influential time for me. So. As long as music has meant something to me, Pedro the Lion and David Bazan have been around. And that's why it's a little harder for me to wrap my head around where I could start with, with this music, because it has been very influential um, over time. At the point in my life where I was only listening to Christian music, middle school, high school, David Bazan would bring up powerful concepts um, lyrically that would challenge you. And they, he was always on the fringe, uh, on the edge. He was, he was never somebody that was like, yeah, this is the most religious guy in his church. No, this guy was not that. He, was, he would challenge some of those concepts. And I didn't appreciate it as much back then as I have over the years. And in my own spiritual journey and figuring out what my own uh, thought, thoughts are on God and religion, um, David Bazan went through a deconstruction of his faith as well. And that path, there are a few artists that as I've gone through my journey, I've looked at their journey um, I guess, <clears throat> not for answers, but for comfort. Because I could, I could tell they were making a similar transition. And so, where being a songwriter and writing music is incredibly important, and at the forefront of my mind, above lyrics, 
I, I would say that for sure music plays a deeper role in why I like a song over the lyrics playing that role. What's special about David Bazan is that <clears throat> there are, I know there are songs that he has that I would hate. I, well, hate's a strong word. That I would totally overlook, not pay attention to, have no desire to go back to, if it weren't for now his voice and the fact that he has something to say. Whether it's the chord progression or the elements in the song are not very interesting at all. But the concept, do, do you know how, like, as a child, if your mother puts you to bed at night and then your mother leaves and now you have a babysitter, it's not your mom. And so you're, it's easier to go to bed with a familiar face. So when new music comes out by an artist, there is a familiarity in his voice. I experienced this with the newest Low Tom album that came out. So Low Tom is David Bazan. And then uh, uh, it's, got, it's got some members of other bands, Starflyer 59, Jason Martin. It's got other, other members of, of other bands. Um, and uh, they're, they're a bit of a, a super group to nerds like me. And ultimately, what's great about that music is it has a very familiar, nostalgic sound, but it's fresh. And so when that new album came out, I could not stop listening to it. But then you have like Brian Bartz, who just, he can't really get into it. And it, he's like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. And it was like he was trying to kind of push it in there. And it's like, it's just, I'm not feeling it. And I get that moment. I, there, are, there are many of those, many of those bands that you don't really get it. Why I think it does it is because it's like, your, it's like your parents putting you to bed. When David Bazan is at the microphone, it's a familiar voice. It's a familiar set of lyrics. There's a familiar structure to it that is like home to me. And so that's the best way that I can kind of put what this music is. This music is home. So I, how, what is your experience with David Bazan's music, if any at all? Just what other people have played for me. He's another one of those artists that... And it's funny, because when we were talking about this on a different episode, you know, when you had brought up, there's just people that other, like, friends will bring up to us that we just... I can't go through all the references at once. You know, the perfect example would be book references people give me. But I think one thing that people enjoy about... um you know, giving me references sometimes is they know that I circle back to them. Like I've gotten book references from people and I've read that book like a year or two later and I'll be like, Hey, you know, I finally, I finally got it. And, and it's like, Oh, okay. And then they'll continue giving me more references because sometimes you give people references and you, you never hear about it again, you yeah. know? So you're like, Oh, they didn't check them out or whatever. Anyways, my point is can't get it to them all. And so this past week when I've been listening to more David Bazan, you know, because you said you wanted to talk about it. It was just, it's awesome. I've listened to this album a number of times, a number of other albums, but shy of that, it was only what Tyler had played a long time ago. He'd play Pedro the Lion and David Bazan, and then what you have showed me. So, and yeah. I, I think we'll, we'll end up doing, uh, we'll end up doing some, some songs with Tyler Wolf. He'll come on as a guest at some point here in, in the near future, hopefully. And we discussed doing a Pedro the Lion song. Now, David Bazan, I love having the excuse of being able to repeat the artist. Because <laughs> over time, we will. We'll do multiple songs by, by the same band over time. But, uh, you know, we kind of discussed, hey, at first, we don't want to kind of repeat, you know, different songs by the same artist. But this one kind of gives me an excuse to do that because now he has, he, he has his own solo work under David Bazan and then he has Pedro the Lion, which is basically the same stuff. But uh, um, Tyler Wolf definitely got as deep into Pedro the Lion as I did. And um, uh, having a friend like that, that, that I could share the, the music with, I, I, you know, my brother Sam has, has listened to the page, has listened to Pedro the Lion as well in the past, but I think Tyler Wolf, him and I probably, um, uh, share the same sentiment towards their music. And, uh, you know, he, he's even covered some of, of Bazan's songs and, and, uh, uh, means a lot. So <clears throat> what Pedro the Lion did for me back then 
was it gave me the ability to listen to something when I was only committed to listening to Christian music. It gave me something different to listen to than what most other people were listening to at that time. And hearing him go through that, that, um, journey, you know, he, he actually, there was an article or an interview I read, um, where he basically unapologetically was kind of making the statement that, you know, in my lyrics, just his deconstruction of his faith over time and his, you know, basically being agnostic, um, it, it comes through his songs and it probably always will. It's just so natural for it to come out in his lyrics that he can't stop writing about it. And he was just kind of unapologetic about it. It was kind of, it was kind of cool. Like there's no intention of, all right, I'm going to try to go with a different theme theme. It was always just, this is what's coming out of me. And so this is what's going to come out of me. And uh, I, I, I parallel with that in my music. <laughs> in fact, I remember back when, when I worked at Pizza Hut and uh, Kyle Bouchard, <laughs> Kyle Bouchard played drums for Shaggy versus the Tank Tops. And to this day, he's still one of the, uh, he, he is so funny. And the relationship I had with him was mostly him making me laugh and playing drums very well. That was Kyle Bouchard to me. And uh, um, I remember Brian and I releasing the album Are, Are We Alone? Um, <laughs> and I gave it to, to Kyle, and he listened to it. Listened to the first song, and then he came up to me and he said, is this song about the Lord? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. They all kind of are. <laughs> and it's not about God in a Christian-y way. It's about just that's what comes out of it. And so it's it's funny. Like when you listen, especially this whole album, Curse Your Branches, is, uh, it's probably in my top 10. It's probably an album in my top 10. And it is 100%. All the songs are about that that kind of faith deconstruction and questioning and the challenges and you know, he does some he does some things musically that <clears throat> he's an artist that why I think he why he's probably a bit of the total package for me in an artist is because it came at such an influential time in life. I ha, I ha, you have to know that about the music too, is that um, probably why I elevate it now is just because it, that's what it was for me at a young age, and so there's a possibility if an artist like Bazan came out right now that I wouldn't hold them as in high esteem, of course. So there's history there and history matters. And, uh, um, what he, what he does super well is he plays like two note chords, very incredibly simple chords and the elements of the music over time, whether it's Pedro the Lion or his own stuff, it's very, very simple drum parts, very simple bass, very simple chords on the guitar, and it allows him to have something to say. And uh, for as much as I love music and detailed music and all kinds of elements, his sound is so stripped down. And then he'll add these little sonic, just these little sonic nuances in there that just, it makes me smile because fundamentally the music is super simple, but then there are all kinds of these little creative touches. And, uh, um, you kind of see that in this song. Why I picked curse your branches is because I feel like it helps define a bit of, uh, it defines multiple areas of Bazan's sound over time. Yeah, I think I haven't mentioned this to you until now. I think one of my, and this is what happens when you assume things. I assumed knowing that he was kind of a fringe artist in the Christian community. And you say it came at like a time in your life. Well, I think also these kinds of artists who once, because if I'm not mistaken, you said he was on tooth and nail, which is openly a, yeah, a yeah, Christian record label. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in the nineties and early two thousands, also known as the aughts, which I had never heard them 
Have you have you heard that? In I heard the it year for the first 2000, time. Nobody was saying this is the year ought. Right. <laughs> but have you heard people say the oughts and yes. like do it casually? Not like casually. that's what you say now. No, it, it's very distracting if somebody says it. But yeah, I've heard it, but it is very Thank distracting. You. It was distracting when someone casually said it to me. And so, anyways, but around that time, um, that 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 was a time in 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 Christian music where there was more fringe artists and and things of that nature coming out of the industry, right? Because prior in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, a lot of Christian music exposure you had were from secular artists doing, you know, hymnal covers and things like that. And you also had... Um, there's there's plenty of mentionings of God in music prior to the 90s and 2000s, but with the creation of record labels like Tooth & Nail, Solid State, eventually Capitol Records took on a lot of uh, Christian artists. Um, to- Tooth & Nail really helped push that. I mean, that, they, yeah. They were, they were kind of the defining record label that pushed the boundaries of, of Christian punk rock, alternative, yeah. fringe artists. Yeah, so you have... so. One one could probably argue that David Bazan's, you know, agnostic um, lyrical content and the the deconstruction of faith was on a wave of artists that were doing it in ways that were either rare or somewhat new in that format at the time. But mm-hmm. knowing that, when Tyler had initially like talked about him, and when you had talked about him, you know, I always have this cynicism as a a writer probably more of like this pompousness of like assuming things like, Oh, he's going to, you know, uh, attack the, you know, ideals of faith in his, his lyrics, you know, how original, (laughs) you know what I mean? Let's see him do it. And so when I was looking at this song, even one of the lines when I, when I first heard it, right. Um, we, we need your signature before you leave or, or whatever that, that, that part may be. I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. But once I really got into the content, man, some of some of the lines were really jarring. And I will say that some of the things that I was taking away from this song aren't what I assumed to be some sort of, you know, I assumed he had a very educated, very personal and intimate, right, um, investigation into the things he was talking about. Not for a moment have I ever thought like David Bazan is a flippant individual. But this theme of agnostic thinking with also this recognition of uncertainty is really jarring because I don't think in this song he's exclusively stating one thing or the other. I think he's very mindful in leaving... And remaining in the space between, which we've talked about time and time again, which is such a great poetic device to not answer things for the reader or listener, right? And not fully describe things for the reader or listener, but to give them enough to kind of haunt them yeah, and allow them to, you know, reckon with their own ghost. And so the line, digging up the root of my confusion... If no one planted it, how does it grow? Mm-hmm. So, not only is that a recognition of, like, I'm confused and I want to investigate this. Why am I confused, right? He's also saying, there must be some reason I'm confused. Yeah. So, there's a voice of reason there. Mm-hmm. There's something that is that is causing that to happen. So, in one in one. Uh, two lines, right? One thought. He's both saying, I'm concerned about this and something's not right here, but I feel like there's a voice that gives me that idea of rightness. Yeah. So what, what the heck? So, well, and I believe Bazan's dad was, it maybe still is, but was a pastor. And uh, he does in his songs and in interviews talk about how, you know, his parents are afraid that his soul is, is going to hell, you know? And so he, he grew up in life, young age, just like myself going through that and having all the, 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 the kinds of things that you learn in church and the teachings that are in there, a lot of the great core concepts, but then also some things that are, are a little bit damning. And, uh, 
and he he went through this whole deconstruction of it. And so his uh, that that root of that confusion, if no one planted it, then how does it grow? Well, it, it's almost a little bit like to it, it's almost a little bit to reference what we talked about in the O oh Sleeper episode, where it talks about leaving a fire for an ember, like that confusion could like there's something there's some kind of a spark or an ember of questioning that faith that he definitely had to explore had to go in and 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 he he his whole entire library of music takes you through that entire journey how he opens this song with the lyrics red and orange or red and yellow in which of these do you believe if you're not sure right now, please take a moment because I'll need your signature before you leave. Now, you mentioned that line. I love the imagery in this because when you think about somebody saying, what's your favorite, red and orange or red and yellow? And you think about those colors and you're like, well, those they're kind of similar. Like, do I really have to pick? Yep, I'm going to need your signature before you leave. You got to tell me which one of these. It's a, it's a yes or no. Like, it's one or the other. The, the kind of a kind of a thing. It's it's very vague, right? Red and orange or red and yellow. It's kind of like the the, the whole the whole questioning behind it. It's an opinionated thing too. It's like, well, I kind of like yellow more than I like orange, so I guess red and yellow. Like it's an opinion opinionated thing. There's not a whole lot of science and backing and experimenting and whatever that can go behind it. It's there's gut in it. There's feeling. There's there's belief. You know what I mean? And oh, so yeah. when he says, I need your signature before you leave, this is a different way of explaining your experience with faith. Mm-hmm. It's a crazy good way to kind of say, isn't it weird that we require somebody to make a decision on their faith and what they believe and put their stamp on it when it's just as opinionated and vague and weird as asking, do you prefer red and orange or red and yellow? And you better make the decision now. And if you believe one, then you're right and you believe the other, you're wrong. And it's right away, he's using such a creative way to kind of, this is the way I interpret it anyway. And then the chorus, of course, um, all fallen leaves should curse their branches for not letting them decide where they should fall and not letting them refuse to fall at all. And when, when that chorus, I remember the first time when this album came out, and Bazan is one of those artists that as soon as, the stu- as soon as the album comes out, I'm listening to it. I will take an early lunch to play an album from an artist like this when it comes out. I have to hear it. <clears throat> so <clears throat> when I first heard that, the way that he has the music, so it, 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 it's really just kick and snare on the, on the verses. Again, it, it, like many of the songs we've discussed, when you're, when you're an artist and you're, you're doing this for the art, you, you, you take the listener on a journey and you add elements as you go. And so there's simpler elements, but then, you know, there, there's, a, there, there's a little more stuff going on in the verse. And then when it drops for the chorus, the music allows the music makes way for the listener to just focus on what he has to say right now. And that is what Bazan does best, is he, he makes you want to listen to what he has to say. At least that's what it does for me. And that is so different from most other music where I'm just listening mostly to what the music's doing. That's my entire experience with metal music, is I am listening to what is going on with the music. Mm-hmm. In this instance, it's, it's very gripping. And... Uh, um, and and then he gets into the 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 verse after that first chorus, and it has that line you said, "Digging up the root of my confusion. If no one planted it, how does it grow?" And then he says, "And why are some hell bent upon there being an answer, while some are quite content to answer, I don't know." And in two thousand nine, when this album came out, um, you know, I I, I uh, in 2001, I was 18 years old. I graduated from high school, and I left the church. That's eight years of soul-searching. And again, I, I was still hot and heavy 
um, in Christianity un- until, you know, probably mid-2000s. And then began the real journey of, of self-discovery, which took, I mean, which I still go through now, you know. Um, but when this came out in 2009, and I heard that line, I had, I had a moment of, I really need to digest this. I really need to, I, I need to take this into consideration because it was so hard for me to settle in to questioning my faith. It was incredibly hard to come to the realization that I had to go through that and I had to discover what this meant. In my lyrics, when I would write music, it was all about um, seeking the truth and figuring out what the truth in life is. And for many years, I believed that truth was Christ. And so even when I began to question that belief, I still very heavily believe that you should seek the truth. Even if you now don't know what it is, you still need to seek it and find it. But that's pretty unsettling as well when the requirement, when faith is a requirement. Sitting back and accepting that it's okay if I don't have the answer, when I first heard this, I didn't know how to do that. But that line was was very... Um, uh, eye-opening to me. It was like, okay. It probably took a few years after that for me to really settle into, you know what? I think it's just okay that I don't know. And it became okay to not have to, it came, it, it became okay to not put so much emphasis on even finding the truth, but finding peace within yourself that, um, through through soul searching and finding peace within yourself that the answer doesn't have to come from something else. And so um, this song posed a very important um, question. Can we go back to the question? Because this is a question. Um, it's really funny how that's, that's, a, that's a theme, dude. This is like therapy. This is something that I'm realizing through therapy here. <laughs> I, I'm going to start getting you question t-shirts. There you go. Well, that's what that you know, most of my life has been asking questions. Um, as as uh, most probably most people's lives are mostly asking questions, but um, it's better than not providing answers. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I think it's, I think it's great. <laughs> I, I just I, I just really felt like this question that he posed in this song was kind of life altering for me, and I think that that's why this one ultimately rose to the top was because. I, I really did have to put some reflection in why can't it just be okay to not know the answer? Why do I have to push to know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I because when it comes to faith, I mean, I think we have almost an insurmountable amount of evidence that triggers these thoughts, but we have almost zero evidence to entirely explain these thoughts. Because when people tell me, um, when I hear people say, I'm not a spiritual person, right? Or they kind of scoff at even the, the, the word spirituality. The first thing I think is, okay, I wonder what experiences this individual has had. What do they think that word means? You know, whatever. You run through the gauntlet of cultural differences, right? But at the heart of it, if someone tells me they're not a very spiritual person, but they have ever told anyone in their life that they love them, they care about them, if they have any sort of feeling towards something beyond, I'm hungry, I need to eat, I need shelter, I need to sleep, now I'm waking up and I need food again, right? <laughs> we are very spiritual beings, and, and, and that's just a word. We're just talking about language, right? In, in our language, in my interpretation, the word spiritual simply means that that is disconnected from the physical realm that is fully explainable. You know, there's a spirit about something. That's just us saying, we can't quantify this, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and there's different, you know, there's a lot of science behind investigating, um, you know, the psychology behind that, which I know nothing about. So what I do know is that 
I get these sensations. I want to think about things. I want to, I want to understand what makes me so drawn to you as a person. What makes me feel so awful um, when I do something that I'm not proud of? You know, what, what is this sort of moral compass I have? Is it cultural, right? Is it innate? Is it learned? You know, the, the endless nature versus nurture debate. And so one thing that I think he's doing well here is he's, he's, he's bringing a casual mood, right, to this, to this song. It's a very casual way of bringing up the, the knowingness versus the not knowingness and the acceptance of uncertainty. And I think that really scares, I have a mentor in my life who I'm actually seeing today where um, I've been uh, personally training him like once every other week and he, he's got a background in psychology. He was a psychologist for, um, for the first part of his career. And he is a um, devout Christian man. And he's one of the few um, people that I can discuss my faith with, right? That calls himself a Christian outside of my family, right? I can talk to my family about anything. And uh, most of my family members identify as Christians. But never have I felt shaken by his responses of my uncertainty. And when we express, when I've expressed uncertainty to people in the Christian community, um, other faith-based communities, there's almost this fear that you're, you're kind of slashing their foundation. You know what I mean? You, if, you're, if you're saying certain things that morally oppose what they've believed is their purpose their entire life, right? Mm-hmm. That's a lot to handle, Right. So if we can get away from this posture of rightness and wrongness, right, and have it just catastrophically affect us, if, if we can have lyrics like, like Bazan is using, right, and, and, and the cursier branches, the, what turns the, the song on its head, in my opinion, is when he's talking about cursing your branches and not letting them refuse to fall at all. Mm-hmm. that I think turns it on its head because then it's saying for those who want to stay on the branch, right? Yeah. For those who want to stay there, um, why are they cursed? And I think he's talking about original sin then, right? I think yeah. he's talking about us being inherently broken mm-hmm. and even, even going against that, right? So you take whatever denomination of Christianity you want it's going to be difficult to find someone that doesn't buy into original sin, right? We have a ton of mutations of Christianity today, a lot more, you'd use the term progressive um, uh, theology out there in the Christian community. But if you tell someone that like original sin just doesn't exist, right? That kind of takes away from the building blocks of Christianity. Yeah, there has to be some fundamental building blocks that would define that belief system <laughs> yeah. and what original sin is a fundamental building block for that belief system. Cause then there would be no point yeah, to Jesus correct. and yeah. Uh, and for, yeah, you yeah. know, and even, even Judaism, you know, uh, the primarily Jewish belief that, you know, Jesus existed, but did not, you know, was not resurrected, you know, that that's a whole different thing. But if, you know, I'm not mistaken, uh, primarily most forms of Judaism buy into original sin, you know, as well. But for Bazan to single that out, you know, so curse your branches, he's taking on my point of this very long preface is to say he's taking on something that he needs to be uncertain about, but he needs people to listen to him and come beside him in that. Yeah. It's funny because even on somebody I, I hold in this high esteem that I, I like their music, it's hard for me in this moment to not focus so much on the lyrics because of how thoughtful and meaningful they really are. And I think ultimately with David Bazan, what comes through mostly is his songwriting ability is, um, is boy, it's hard to match his songwriting ability. And you might listen to his songs and not totally love the music. You might not totally like his voice. You might not totally see eye to eye with his lyrics but his songwriting, pulling all those pieces together, is what shines the brightest for me. Where there are some out, there's some artists like Chevelle, for an example. The tone of the guitars are so good that I don't care about anything else because the guitars sound 
so good. Now, the bass sounds great too, kick and snare sound good too, but it is hard to find guitars that sound as good for the genre of music that they have. So I could never listen to any other element in that. Bazan, I don't pick apart the sound of this or th this thing. It's the songwriting capability is just amazing. Between the structures, the, the moments he leaves you hanging on, some songs, even like this one, the way that they end, they end after he has said everything he wanted to say. Not necessarily in this, in this really proper, it, it, just when you listen to the song and the way it ends, it doesn't end in the most proper way that songs should end. But it ends after he is done saying what he needs to say and the point that the song needs to have. And, and you, there are those elements within Bazan's music all the time. And it's funny because in trying to pick out my favorite moment in the song, it, it's like, it's, it's hard for me to, not because, oh, the song's so great. It's because he doesn't, in my opinion, for a song like this, the point of the song is not to drive you to a moment. Like, think about, we, we broke down Beggars and Thrice. They are leading you through that whole song. And they're like, you know it's going to blow up, guys. We just got to get there. We're going to get there. I just have something to say first. But they lead you to a moment in the song. This song doesn't lead you to a moment musically. It, it, get, it, it makes a statement, and that's the purpose of the song. And most of Bazan's songs are kind of like that. He has a few that take you to a moment, and then they deliver on the moment. Eating Paper is one of those. He has a groove on Eating Paper that I love, that there are definitely moments in that song that he, he, he leads you to. So it's not, every, it's not every song. But this one in particular, it, it's like there, there, doesn't, there doesn't need to be that kind of moment. It's the whole, the whole ideal. And I think that's probably why I hold him in such high esteem is the songwriting capability is what shines through above and beyond the guitar tone the guitar chord structures, his voice, the melody. Dude, there are some songs that I listen to from him where it's just him singing a very somber melody over a piano or an acoustic guitar, and there is nothing special in any way, shape, or form about any of it other than his voice is like a parent putting somebody to sleep to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's an element that I think some of the artists that I admire so much like they have that capability like i just want to hear andy hole do anything <laughs> you know and and yeah it's it's you know you build up that relationship i've always known that you've had such a strong you know it's cool that we can talk about this because i know that you've always had such a strong relationship with um david bazan and, and what he's meant to you in your life um what what is your uh Let's let's get your your favorite lyric and and then if you have one your favorite musical element. Well, the the <clears throat> the lyric is uh, why are some hell bent upon there being an answer and some are quite content to answer. I don't know because it was it was almost um it was almost a little life changing for me in the shifting of my thought from seeking the truth to discovering yourself. And when you seek to find something, your, uh, the way that my mind had interpreted it, it wasn't internalized. It was almost like trying to dig up a fossil in the ground. You're not looking within yourself. You're looking externally for something. And this challenges that when you're not looking to figure out what the truth is and going to the ends of the earth to discover it and almost in turn looking externally, um, when you're okay to admit, let's not seek the truth right now. Let's not have to find an answer. The only place to discover new things is within yourself. That's it. And uh, um, it was very challenging for me. And it's also a little bit of my nerd level of detail, which this may be the only time in all the times we do this that it will be a lyric that does this for me and not music, okay? <laughs> okay, then I'll talk about the music nerd level detail oh, and hey, cool. ruin everything for All everyone. All right, we're flipping Because I don't know Go anything. Ahead. 
No, I, I'm just joking. I can't. Oh, <laughs> I don't have that vocabulary. My, yeah, uh, please. My my nerd level of detail is just the juxtaposition of him saying, "Why are some hell bent upon there being an answer?" And uh, the answer, with his background in life, my background in life, and the way I interpret it, is God. Like finding the answer is finding God. It's knowing it's knowing what to believe, and it's knowing the truth. That is the answer. And hell is in opposition to the idea of God and heaven. And just the juxtaposition of somebody very spiritual is hell-bent that they know the answer and it's God and using that word hell to describe the way somebody feels about God is super cool to me. It's he you, that juxtaposition of those words. I am certain that was intentional and maybe even put a little smirk on his face when he wrote that thinking, hey, what frequency did this come from? Because that is a brilliant line mm-hmm. that, uh, that has imagery of heaven and hell in the answer and um, that just one, one of the more brilliant juxtapositions within lyrics that I've seen. Yeah, I would say my nerd level detail is the, um, from a writing perspective, you know, an unsuspecting listener could interpret this as as a pleasant, perhaps romantic, like cabana drinking song. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's what I was thinking. Yeah. And it reminds me of how subtle some of uh, Jack Johnson's songs can be that have rather ominous subjects that are, you know, they're almost obscured by cheerful vibes. And mm-hmm. I don't think that was unintentional. You know, I, I like, and even when we talked about Dustin Kinsrew and, and the song Beggars, bringing up these haunting elements with steel, with, with steel, man, he does it with steel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, having, having this kind of, um, you know, Pleasantville type sound while you're, you know, talking about these, um, almost bleak, you know, image images or these, these bleak, you know, um, concepts, it kind of gives it some balance, you know, cause you're not overselling it. You know, yeah. if you're, if you're really just kind of going for it and you're just trying to rip the roof off and let people know, you know, how terrified you are that, you know, your, your ideas of existence are shifting and changing what have you. Um, I mean, it's it's just a bit much. It's not real because that's not how you're feeling, at least for me. And I would assume he might not be feeling certain things of like, it's not all or nothing, right? That's kind of the point of uncertainty. You're, it's really this kind of push-pull, right? And, and you're really just having a difficult time reconciling some things with, with rec- reconciling other things. So the combination of having, you know, kind of these, these, these you know, little um, kind of, attractive, you know, charming sounds while taking on the subject, I think gives it a nice, um, you, what, what, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. what you are trying to describe is what I'm trying to describe about how powerful his music has been to me over the years. There's something compelling and emotional about the songwriting of it, and you don't have to like the music because the music is not the songwriting. And that's important for people to know the music is not the songwriting songwriting yeah. is a different element altogether within it. Yeah. And it, it's so hard to put into words. I think I'm going to take a stab. I think I might have I a couple it. for yeah, it. Cause you're better. Than, you're more of a wordsmith than me. You just got to sometimes alphabeticalize, uh, <laughs> what you're trying to say. Uh, in, in, in a, there's this term, it's a program of attraction rather than promotion. And that has just been the most wonderful concept to me because a program of attraction rather than promotion. I don't think Bazan is a promoter. I don't think he's trying to promote his beliefs. I think, I think his lyrics are attractive because it's simply an authentic expression of where he's at. Yeah. And when I began having thoughts of uncertainty or difference in my own faith, man, I thought like such a promoter and it was so unattractive to me when I recognized that within myself and still can. Like I'll see posts on social media or hear things people say 
and become so annoyed by them, right? Or so like, oh, that's not right. You know, you have no idea what you're talking about, you know? And it's almost like I want to promote why I think I'm right, you know? Yeah. Or why, you know? And so somehow I think as an individual, he's harnessed this sense of this is how I'm going to express myself through my music. And you can kind of take it or leave it, you know? Mm -hmm. There's something that he's left untouched for, for the listener to reconcile with that would not be there if he was trying to promote. And I think that's one thing that you might find attractive that I find a lot uh, attractive about a lot of artists. Because if, if I felt for a moment that David Bazan was out to completely dismiss Christians as a whole, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be into it, right? But when I see him critique Christian culture, when I see him put honest words to his feelings and then leave it hanging right mm -hmm. for other people that use 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 it however they like that's that's dude i'm like okay good job he he's uh he's curious he's curious so when somebody starts talking about something and maybe it's something that he immediately at first is is like now i don't know if i agree with this he he uh, I, I've, I've seen, I've, I've watched interviews of him actually have things like this get presented where he, he'll say, I'm curious about that. And you know, that's intentional for him to do that because he is, he, he wants to be very open-minded about those things. And I've seen him do multiple discussions on, on it. And, uh, um, there's, there's truly a sense of questioning self-reflection and curiosity in all of it that doesn't, um, put down in major ways, one side or the other. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think, you know, it's pretty, it's probably pretty easy to tell what the life application for this, for me would be. I mean, I think that's kind of what this entire discussion's been about, but not having the answer is, it's fine. It's fine. Li life isn't any worse or it isn't meaningless if you don't have the answer. And that was a very difficult concept for me in my mid-20s was I, my, how meaningful my life was, was directly related to what the answer of life was and if I had it or not. Mm -hmm. And that is far from who I am and, and what I believe now. And, and life is far from meaningless if you'll never know the answer. And, uh, you know, he, he has, um, well, I, I, if you want, before I like, before I go into this, I, what, what would your life application be from the, from the song? Much of what you said, the thing I'll add is not having answers to certain things enriches the experience. You know, it doesn't minimize or detract from our experience. It, it almost enriches it. And I'll uh, just use one quick example. The first Shakespeare class I took. Um, I had never taken on Shakespeare because I was always too intimidated. You know, I was like, I'm not going to be able to grasp Shakespeare. Um, I had actually read more than half of Hamlet on my own with an annotated version that, you know, one of my mentors had suggested to me and it was really difficult, but I, I was getting some things, you know, but when I had Shakespeare taught to me, um, by just a brilliant professor at, at Whitewater, I was obsessed with trying to figure out what Shakespeare was saying, you know? Um, and there, w there was one moment where I went to his office hour and I was talking to him about, you know, this, this, this one scene and I was trying to understand in Othello, um, what message Shakespeare is trying to give the reader about in internalizing racism, you know, and, and it's tragedy and how tragic it is, you know, and I was trying to figure it out. And my professor said, you know, I don't think Shakespeare's as concerned about answering things as much as asking more questions. And it just enriched Shakespeare for me, just hearing that, just hearing that it's okay to be in the mystery, you know, and, and be confounded by it. But also to still, you know, I still want to search. I still want to learn things. But having that in the back of my head of knowing that like, hey, moron, you probably don't know what's going on. And even if you do, there's probably a lot more to it than you know. I think that's a very anti-American sentiment and one that we should embrace more and more. And so that's my life application. 
<clears throat> I like that. I I think just kind of in closing on my my thoughts on Bazan and and what <clears throat> what the lyrics mean to me. I want to reference some lyrics from another song on this album, and I could do that. This the, the album "Curse Your Branches" could be a good candidate for me to have broken down the entire album because it was uh, uh, it, it came at a critical it came at a critical time in my life that helped that really did help help me uh, uh, through some stuff. But he has this lyric in one of the other songs on this album that I think that I want to bring up um, because it was also instrumental. At the time that it came in my life for me to really think about it, but he said, uh, "Though it may alienate your family and blur the lines of your identity, let go of what you know and honor what exists, son. That's what bearing witness is." And I had to have a moment in my own in my own walk. I had to have this moment of you know, leaving, leaving the church, questioning my faith did alienate me from some of the people I was closest to. And there is family that I have that are still Christians that some of these ideals could upset them and they could be worried for my eternal soul. And uh, for Bazan to be so... Um, direct in some of the lyrics and so okay with the questioning and so encouraging to have your own thought and go through those challenges. It's incredibly uplifting. Yeah, that's... Yeah, the only thing I'll share before we end is, yeah, I I only stopped going to church a couple years ago. So it's not like it was a long time ago. So I still have a ton of friends who I consider them friends on Facebook who are still actively, you know, churchgoers. Mm -hmm. So when I shared this on my Facebook, that was my first thought. I wasn't super excited to be like, hey guys, check it out. I was, my first thought was the insecurity of like, oh, I know I've said things that are, you know, counter to what I used to believe and say in church. And I'm concerned how people are going to think about me that I used to be friends with. That was like my first thought, you know? Yeah. It, one, I shared that same, even though you and I never discussed that before this moment, 100% was on my mind in sharing it. Yeah. And so there was a surrender that came with that because I just had to have a peace between myself and God of knowing like, Hey, like this is where I'm at. I'm just sharing honestly with Brandon. That's what we wanted to do anyways. We didn't want to curate something that's, um, more, um, you know, affable to some, but not to others, because mm-hmm. that's what happens yeah. in that culture. We're just honestly talking about music and stuff. So um, the the one thing I'll say is I think one thing that might draw you to Bazan when he goes on these questioning journeys and in, in us with other artists is some artists that we love have found a way to do it with compassion and that's something that I'm searching for because in my journey to question and to think different ways and such, it's easy to lose your compassion, you know? And so I want to keep that compassion while I do it. And I think he does that with this song incredibly well. So 